Hello everyone, this is The Truth of the Matter Is. I'm your host, Daniel, and I'm here with Jonathan. This, of course, is episode number 62. And I'd like to say on behalf of myself and, of course, Jonathan as well, we appreciate you for listening in today. Yeah, so before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who decide to tune in. And, of course, for Daniel, who has made his return today. So, Daniel, how are you feeling? You know, I'm sure the listeners missed you as much as I did last week. And I must admit, I did a lot of reading last week. And once I got the news that you wouldn't be able to come on at the time, I had to, you know, I had to reconsider if I need to cut back on the use of scripture. You know, the final decision ended up being that I kept everything regular. I kept all the material that I had planned to say. Plus, I basically shouldered the load on my own and got the job done. But besides that, how are you doing, man? How's everything? You know, everything was going well. It's going quite well, actually. But then I had to fix the audio meters about maybe 25 times before we started recording today. So I'm hoping that this will be the last time. Hmm. Of course, Jonathan was, um, just for all the listeners to know, Jonathan was up to his year zero shenanigans during setup this week. So you think this is funny? <laughs> yeah, it is funny actually because not only was he up to his usual shenanigans this week, but also last week. You guys should have seen it. It was like trying to make sure everything was kept on time, time frame. Man, what are you? So I'm sure everybody's glad that I'm back this week. Man, why, what are you <laughs> so telling these people? Normal... You was nowhere to be found <laughs> last week. You told so me we can have a normal life to... episode. You told me I had to handle it. Oh. <laughs> And then you didn't even put a beginning song and end song. What are, you, what are we talking about? Don't worry. I'm here to make sure that everything stays on track this week. Okay. I, I understand what it's like when I'm not here. Hmm. All right. Before we begin with our discussion <laughs> for today, we're going to start off with prayer. Okay. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, the truth of the matter is we thank you for your life, your love, and your light. Your life, because without it, we do not have an example or a model to live, to live after. You love because you so love the world that you gave up your one and only son to whom whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, you knew that once you decided to give yourself up as a sin offering and an atonement for the world's sin, that there is no fear in love. But perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. But Lord, it was your perfectness. It was you coming down as a man that saved us all. It was your perfectness that allowed you to take on our sins. The scriptures are clear when it says, He who is without sin became sin for us so that we may be the righteousness of God. The life you lived required perfection. It was, you know, it was necessary and you you actually fulfilled it like no one else could and never would. And finally, Lord, it's your light because in you is no darkness at all. And if we claim to be disciples of 
of you and with you. We must walk in the light as you are in the light. Therefore, on that note, I pray that we continue to grow in knowledge of you, that we continue to read your word so that you can open up our understanding. And finally, I ask that we stay encouraged, all of us. And I say these things in Jesus name, we pray and everyone in agreement say amen. Amen. So, of course, wasting no time, let's jump right into the text for today. We're going to continue with the Gospel of Luke series. And this begins at chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 27 through 40 in the NIV. Now, some of the Sadducees who said there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife with no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven word married to her, Jesus replied, The people of this age marrying and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him are all alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. So, great job, Daniel. Reading this a few times might lead you to believe there's nothing really here or even worthy of discussion, right? The message might seem simple, but as a reminder for our new listeners and who has decided to tune in for the first time today, myself and Daniel, on this podcast, we are here to provide an honest, contextual, and historized view of the Bible, and that's through the use of hermeneutics and sound theology. And we speak from personal experiences on occasion. Right now, I want to say something that might be helpful, especially for today's conversation to have a greater appreciation for what's being said in the word of God. The Holy Scriptures is important to have an understanding of historical events that are relevant. And let's not forget culture impact. Right. Knowledge about the climate, meaning the geographic impact, as well as the traditional practices, along with the language, gives you a preview of how you can interpret some texts even more. Now, what do I mean by all of this? Let's start off by appreciating the translations, right? Something we've continuously done in this podcast. It appears, based upon my study, that verse 27 was well written in these four translations, the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, and the NASB. So the NIV is the New International Version. The NLT is a new living translation the esv is the english standard version and the nasb is the new american standard bible 
Now, I've selected the NIV for the basis, but let's look at verse 27 in these four translations. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Then in the NLT, the first version was the NIV. The NIV, excuse me. The NLT then says, then Jesus was approached by some of the Sadducees, religious leaders who said there is no resurrection from the dead. The English Standard Version has it written like this. There came to him some Sadducees, those who denied that there is resurrection. And of course, last but not least, the NASB said, now some of the Sadducees who maintain that there is no resurrection came to him. So there is something you can learn while reading all four of these translations and obviously just verse 27 i'm going to show you so the niv right the word some here points out only a select few not all and that's important because it teaches us that we cannot say the same for all the sadducees just like we can't say all police are bad or all white people are racist, it's dangerous. And the word some here gives us perspective that we cannot use a broad brush. Okay. When we look at the NLT, the word some here is used again, but it speaks to the amount of Sadducees who came together to speak to Jesus. Right. In one instance, the word some was used to break down the select few. As in, you can't all group the Sadducees as one that believe that all believe in the same concept. And the NLT breaks some down and uses it as the amount of Sadducees who came together to speak to Jesus. Okay. Some in cases, an amount of four, right? So everyone believes some amounts out to four, right? The new thing we learn in the NLT, though, is that we don't learn. And the NIV is that the Sadducees are religious leaders. Get that additional information? We don't learn that in the NIV, but in the NLT, the new information that we learn is that the Sadducees are religious leaders. Okay? When we go to the ESV, what do we learn? Well, there came some, which is, again, probably four, and this is what we learn. They are in denial of what? The resurrection. The text says they, the Sadducees, deny that there is a resurrection. So the word denying here means what, Daniel? To deny state that one refuses to admit the truth or existence of. Yeah, so deny is the state that one refuses to admit the truth or existence of. All right. Lastly, when we look at the New American Standard Bible, we see the word some again. But we see that this translation wants us to know that some Sadducees maintain that there is no resurrection. To maintain something is to what, Daniel? Cause or enable or to continue on. Okay. So basically what we learn from all four translations is that, is that this is what it is. That some Sadducees, not all, believe there is no resurrection. The Sadducees are classified as a group of religious leaders. And finally, some, not all, deny the resurrection, and they continue to maintain this belief. This is what reading the Bible does. You study, you learn as much as you can from different translations, because they all tell a piece of the puzzle for our learning and our understanding. 
This is the reason why I keep encouraging and promoting this idea that if you read it in one text, if you're looking for clearer understanding, you check another text, right? I think that that's pretty cool. That I can take each translation and pick a portion out of that translation that helps me understand the text. So my understanding evolves, it grows, it matures. Okay? Now, going back to the NIV from verses 28 through 33, the Sadducees ask Jesus a question in a way of an example that addresses the resurrection. Okay? Now, as readers of this passage, we should be asking. Why would the Sadducees pose a question about the resurrection if they don't if they don't believe in the resurrection? What's the point of that? I ask that question again. As readers of this passage, we should be asking, why would the Sadducees pose a question about the resurrection if they don't believe in the resurrection? What's the point? This is where having some insight, some knowledge about the Sadducees historically comes in handy. So I took the liberty of doing some research, and this is what I found. So the Sadducees don't believe in the supernatural. So what does that mean? No angels or demons, the concept of heaven and hell. And of course, what we've been talking about for the last five minutes, the resurrection. What do they believe then? That souls die with no bodies, and that's the end. No afterlife. That's what they believe. Here's where things become interesting, right? The Sadducees refuse to go beyond the written Torah, or the five books of Moses, which are the five books of the Bible. Now, the five books of the Bible are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, the word that's used here is refuse. Let's define that. Daniel? To express an unwillingness to accept or willingness to do something. All right. So that's interesting. Let me continue. The Sadducees believe strongly in ritual purity as prescribed by Moses. They did not want anything to disqualify them from leading the temple services that generated income. Hmm. So earning money was part of the motivation. And of course, being the face of leadership mattered to the Sadducee. Let's continue. The Sadducees believed that the Old Testament was the only authority on matters of faith and life. Which is interesting because... The father of faith is Abraham, which is in the Old Testament, right? But he was told about the gospel before anyone knew it was a promise, which means it had to come and be fulfilled later, obviously, through Jesus Christ. The scripture was clear when Jesus said, many have longed to see what you see, but didn't. So who else could he be talking about? Right? Himself, obviously. Let's continue. The Sadducees flatly rejected Pharisee teaching that oral tradition was equal to scripture and authority. They believe in unrestrained free will, meaning God had no role in personal lives of humans. Everyone has mastery over his or her own destiny. Ah, okay. Interesting thing. 
that's obviously very telling. Let's continue. The Sadducees were the party of high priests, aristocratic families, and merchants, which happens to be among the wealthier population during this time. They were among those who were influenced by Hellism. Side note here Hellism is a practice are primarily centered around polytheistic and animalistic worship. Okay? So the worship of Greek gods, which are Olympians, divinities, and spirits of nature. And that's the inclusion, of course, of the underworld. Okay? Now, the Hellenism tend to have good relationship with Roman rules of Palestinian and generally represented the conservative view within Judaism. So I assume that developing those kinds of relationships at the time allowed for flexibility in terms of what they could have power over and be left alone amongst their own kind. That makes sense because the Sadducees controlled the two most important institutions of Jewish society, Jerusalem Temple, known as Herod's Temple, and the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the governing body for both religious and legal issues of the Jews. The leader of the Sanhedrin was a high priest, given king-like authority, and was almost always a Sadducee. Now, why is this important that we know this? Usually when you smell smoke, there's fire. In order to understand a person or a group, you need to have an understanding of their history. And from that, you can draw educated assumptions based upon the right information you have. It's all about having the right temperament in these situations. So, of course, empathy, rather sympathy, is the mentality you ought to have. Another thing is it's called taking in consideration of the history of a group. All right. Very important or a person. So let me ask you a question. All right. What did you get from reading about the Sadducees? And more importantly, how does knowing the history help with understanding the text? Okay. Is there anything we can learn from the Sadducees that you might want to add? So those, those are all great questions. Let's take each question one at a time. So... If it isn't obvious, I inform everyone now that the Sadducees are in a place of privilege, wealth, and power. Usually when you're in a place of privilege, you experience benefits and enjoyments beyond what is available to others. What wealth does is it creates the benefit of privilege and assets, not to mention it opens the door for an expansion. Based on what I read, the Sadducees understood culturally that we aren't the same. However, I can still hang out with the Roman officials, try not to be influenced and exposed to Hellism practices as they were among power, and that power could interfere with their personal religious beliefs and practices. So they didn't let that get in the way. The Sadducees knew that having those type of relationships allowed wiggle room so they could worship and be independent as long as they paid 
the Roman tax, which is what was discussed last week. With wealth and now privilege, you have control. That means power. I mean, to control the two most important institutions of Jewish society, right? The Jerusalem Temple and the Sanhedrin. That's dangerous for a number of reasons, right? That Sanhedrin was the governing body for Jewish religious religiosity, right? And legal issues of the Jews. And I can think how there's a lot wrong with that as well. So how does knowing the history of the Sadducees help in understanding the text? Another great question, Dan. Although the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, they were more than happy to use it to try to bring Jesus into contempt and ridicule with the multitude by asking him a question in which they thought he could not answer. Historically, the Sadducees were limited, and that was based on choice, ignorance, in my opinion. And unfortunately, that's unacceptable. And it's a poor decision. Okay. Now, if you think Mm -hmm. about it, we can learn more from the Sadducees and their beliefs along with their stances and what not to do. Just think about it for a sec, right? Verse 27 in the four translations said that the Sadducees denied, refused, and maintained their belief in the fact that there was no resurrection. Right. So obviously with privilege, wealth and power, the question becomes, why feel the need to believe in anything supernaturally? The belief is your and all of the possessions that you ever need with privilege and wealth and power. Why seek assistance? Why look for help? Why rely on a supernatural being? Right. That sort of thinking is basically obsolete. Now, let's look that up. What does obsolete mean, Daniel? It means to stubbornly refuse to change one's opinions or choose course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so. You see, what stubbornness does is it makes us do things we shouldn't do. And it cuts us off from others, even those who want or intend to help us. Simply because we insist on our own way. And won't admit we might be wrong. That stubbornness also will cut us off from God. Because it makes us refuse to seek his will. Or listen and read his word. Think about the impact Jesus had on the Sadducees. He performed miracle after miracle after miracle. Because we know that they were witnesses. We know that they were present. We know that they followed him. Right? They saw these things. But unfortunately, the Sadducees refused to reconsider their stance, even with new information and evidence that was presented to them based upon being there. The truth of the matter is, unwillingness to change one's opinion or decision is the desire to remain ignorant. Such people are only attached to their own beliefs, ideas, and opinions. This can make them inconsiderate. Of other people's feelings and a danger to those around them generationally. Right? Stubbornness is the fear of letting go of your own ideas, convictions, decisions, and at times identity. 
So let's go to 2 Timothy first, and then we're going to go to 2 Peter. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says what, Daniel? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Say it one more time, Daniel. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you. Now let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 12 through 19. Daniel? So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tents of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will also be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from the God from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, who I love. With him and I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophet the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, through humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now this is so good that I want us to continue on to chapter 2. We're going to read all the way to verse 3. Daniel. But there were also prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive hearsays, even denying the sovereignty of the Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dispute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping so obviously these two texts are very straightforward into why we should trust the bible right very very important that we read this right very direct and obviously straight to the point now here's what i would say as some words for wisdom if you choose to listen and hear me out engagement is necessary for development and learning living in your own bubble feeding yourself false binaries and Logical fallacies won't help you. Instead, you'll be stagnant. The point is, don't do that. You must expand and challenge your intellect. As followers of Christ, we have an obligation not to be ignorant. Why? Because if anyone shall ask us the reason for the hope we have, we must respond. We shall not, I repeat, we shall not be destroyed for lack of knowledge because where God's word is, that's where we will find his will for us. 
let's not live under a rock all of our lives and let's not look at negative experiences from others and declare that that's why I won't search out the truth. Because of what happened to Jamie, Bob, Roberto, Augustine, Anthony, Jason, you have your own mind. How about using it? You have your own will. How about capturing it? You have your own life. How about living it? So, let's get back to the response that Jesus gave the Sadducees. Back to the Gospel of Luke chapter 20. And we're going to read verse 34 through 40. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in this age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die. For they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher, and no one dared to ask him any more questions. So very important statement that's made here is that God is the God of the living, not the dead. Very important. Obviously, we will get more into that probably in the gospel of Matthew series. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe Jesus would be able to answer their question. But obviously, being the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, there's nothing God is incapable of doing. Now, let's look at this text, which kind of gives a much more expanded explanation of what Jesus is talking about. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at this in the NLT. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to live again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back for him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Great job, Daniel. So, Jonathan, any final thoughts? Yeah. Ignorance is unacceptable. We can't be afraid to engage people and read and educate ourselves with God's word. Understand the deception that exists by refusing to explore the word of God and endorsing staying ignorant does you a disservice. Now, before we close out, I want to provide you some of my favorite scriptures when it comes to chasing after God. Right? Very simple. And I'll read them. Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, which is what we're going to be reading soon enough. Chapter 7, 
verses 7 through 8, and we're going to look at this in the NLT. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. What I love about this translation is that when it says keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking, that's a continuation of what is expected from you if you're looking to seek out truth, if you're looking to get answers, if you're looking to find what fulfills you. It's not something that you start and then all of a sudden you lose a desire for. No, it's something that you continue to do. You continue to search God out and trust and believe that he will meet you where you are. That leads me to the next text. Book of James, chapter 4, verse 8. And we're going to look at this in the English Standard Version. And I'll let Daniel read this one. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Yep. On that note, go right into devotion. So, I want people to understand this. If you aren't in a season of uncertainty, you may soon experience one. Life begins to spin out of control, and it's natural to worry about the future. You can become attached to certain outcomes and begin asking God for a particular future. And... Let's be honest here. Who hasn't struggled with some hard questions for God when the exact opposite happens? You know, reminds me of uh, Jeremiah chapter thirty-three, verses two through three. It says, "Call to me, and I will answer you, and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know." Now, the prophet Jeremiah confronted uncertainty. The Lord assured him that He can call out to him, and He would answer him. Of course, the Lord didn't guarantee that Jeremiah would like the answer he received, but Jeremiah wasn't assured of clear-cut solutions. Perhaps the answers to your prayers could take years or even a lifetime to unfold. And sometimes when it comes to dealing with things in life, the answers aren't always clear, even if they are right in front of our faces sometimes. So understand that even at times when you think you understand God's ways, you'll find that there were layers beneath your prayers that escaped your attention. Whether or not you want to confront these mysteries, the important thing is that this very verse promises the presence of God is always uncertain. So, with that being said, think about it like this and this is something you can even say to god if you choose to lord i don't know what's happening in my life right now and things aren't working out the way i expected them to but i will say this i ask that you help me to trust you during these uncertain times and i ask you to build my resilience so that i can continue to move through life knowing that even if i don't know I will eventually know. And all in agreement say, Amen. Amen.